I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be a scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Angie. Thank you, uh, members of Clarks United Methodist Church, for the invitation to be here this morning. Um, Just overwhelmed by the video and the amount of uh, missions that this church is engaged in, the spectrum of places where people can plug in, and this understanding of mission of not just getting a by, but also getting ahead. So it's a blessing to be here. Um, Will you please pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who is our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I was 14 years old when Jesus set a fire in my life. I was going on a one-week mission trip with my local church through Appalachia Service Project. We're going to do home repair for poor residents in the Appalachian Mountains. Now, this was my first time away from home. I wasn't a camp kid. I had stayed at home during the summers to care for my younger siblings, but this was an opportunity to leave and be on my own for a week. And I was a little scared. It was my first time doing construction. I hadn't really used power tools. I was hoping that I would come back with all my fingers. But probably the thing that scared me the most, the the thing that I dwelled on the most as I prepared to go on that mission trip was wondering how the people of Appalachia would treat me. I'm Mexican on my dad's side, and I had grown up in Livonia in middle school hearing all of the nasty words that one can imagine to talk about that ethnic group. And I wondered, I wondered if, if I went and spent a week with poor white folk in the Appalachian Mountains, would I hear the same things? And so I girded my loins, I 
got ready, I thought of all the witty, powerful comebacks that I would say during that week. When we arrived, my team was assigned to a home that was building an indoor bathroom on the back of the house. This was crucially important because um, the family that lived as home consisted of a grandma, her daughter, and a grandson. For the grandma, Nellie was her name, she was about to undergo major surgery, and she needed a bathroom and a shower that she could use. As I got to know this family, I was surprised that none of the bad things that I had imagined occurred. I was shocked that this family would allow a bunch of high schoolers to come in their house and put up drywall, construct a bathroom, wire electricity. I was shocked by the kindness and the love I experienced from this family. On our final day, Nellie told myself and one of my team members that she wanted to make us a sandwich. Now, ASP has very strict rules. You're not supposed to accept anything from families, right? So I looked at the team member who was a college student, and wisely, she, she just smiled and said, that would be wonderful. Nellie made us a sandwich, and we sat, and we ate with her. And as we departed, she wrapped her arms around each of us and told us that she loved us. Now, I don't know what I expected on that mission trip. I know that I expected that I might encounter some difficult moments directed towards me. Maybe I expected that it would be a fun time to spend with friends or that I would be bringing God and hope to a community, that I would uh, come back and talk about how blessed I felt that I was having seen poverty in rural Appalachia to live in Livonia, Michigan. But the truth of it is that that mission trip was very disturbing for me. It made me uncomfortable. It set a fire in my life. I felt like I was a field that had been cleared out and all the kindling and leaves were snapping and cracking and my soul and my life had been laid bare. Because I was face to face with my own prejudice for the people of Appalachia. I was face to face with a love that wasn't necessarily comforting, but that was convicting to me. A love that told me that there was something in my life that needed to be changed and transformed. Now, your pastor gave me the freedom to pick whatever scripture I wanted to use this morning. As I was looking through the scriptures, I came across this one as the assigned text in our lectionary, and I couldn't pass it up, because here in this scripture, we see Jesus at his most pyrotechnic. It's a combustible Christ. It's a Christ that isn't warm and fuzzy, but it's challenging and disturbing and disruptive. It's a Jesus who talks about his mission and ministry as one that brings division 
and upsets all of the relationships in our lives. And as I read that text and I thought about this story in my life that I return to time and time again when I think about the importance of mission, I knew that they had to go together. Because for me, mission is not optional. As a fire is meant for burning, the church is meant for mission. And for me, mission is not about transaction. It's not about charity and helping people. Mission is a place. It's a practice. It's a discipline. It's a set of relationships where God promises to show up, where Jesus sets our lives on fire. It's in mission that we discover who we are and whose we are. It's in mission where all of us are transformed, not just those who we are going to, All of us are transformed. Mission is a means of grace where God has already showed up and where God promises to change the lives of everyone involved. As a fire is meant for as a fire is meant for burning, the church is meant for mission. Mission. Mission is the energy at the heart of the Christian faith. Mission is where God shows up. Mission is where we are changed and transformed. Now sometimes, even though that spark is lit and the flame burns strong, it can fizzle out. You ever been at a point in your life where you feel that the flames have died down? Where you're searching through the ashes for that one glowing ember? About eight years ago, I returned to Michigan from having spent five years in Washington, D.C. It was a tough time. I just washed out of a doctoral program and saw my dream of being a professor flitting away. When we returned to Michigan, I had found one part-time job to work at as a deacon. My wife was a teacher. It took her nearly a year and a half to find work. We lived with my in-laws during that time. Now, you heard Jesus talk a little bit about in-laws in the scripture. I'll say, uh, I I love my in-laws. We got along really well, but I'm just, you know, it's living with your in-laws. I'm just going to say that, right, you know? (laughs) Murmur, murmur, yes, yes, murmur. My in-laws were gracious enough to let us live with them for a year and a half. Um, It was a difficult time. I, um, for the first time in my life, I questioned uh, everything about myself. My gifts, my skills, what it meant to be a man, a husband, a father, what it meant to be a United Methodist deacon. I felt lost. You ever been at that point where you feel like your dreams have died and you're not sure what the next moment will bring? It was a place where the embers were barely glowing. Then I got a letter from Sonia Luna, Hispanic missionary for our conference. It was inviting me to a meeting to talk about what it might mean to start an immigration legal aid clinic in southeastern Michigan. 
I don't know why I went to that meeting. I just felt like I needed to. And there I was captured by a vision of creating a legal clinic in the Metro Detroit area. And I joined with a team of other people, and we founded uh, this clinic. We hired an attorney, and we got to work opening clinics in Dearborn, Ypsilanti, and Pontiac. I served as the first director. People ask me why I got involved with JFON. I say, JFON found me. People ask me why JFON is so important in my life, Justice for Neighbors. This is the name of the Immigration Legal Aid Clinic. And I say it's because it changed my life. It saved my life at that moment. Through Justice for Our Neighbors, I felt like Jesus had gotten down on his hands and knees and he was blowing on that glowing ember. That he was going out and searching for the kidling the fall to feed that fire, that he was bringing, bringing piece of wood after piece of wood to build that fire again. As I worked with immigrant men and women, as I heard their stories of struggle and perseverance of tenacity, the heartbreak of realizing that there was no legal relief for a family member or the tearful departure of a family member that was being, being deported, I was reminded that mission is not about me, that I needed to get over myself. In that work, I rediscovered a sense of call, a sense of faith, that fire was lit yet again. Jesus can create a spark. Jesus can tend to flame. Sometimes he can bring back glowing embers from nothing. This is what mission is all about. A call, a purpose, rediscovering ourselves in those deep and dark and cold moments. I want to share a few stories with you. Stories where I see this pyrotechnic Jesus, this combustible Christ showing up. One story I always tell is about Clarkston, right? Um, I can't tell you how moved I was when I attended the graduation ceremony for the first getting ahead class last summer. Mary invited me as the bigwig to present the certificates to those who participated in the class. And I am not a crier. But that day, I thought about crying. A tear came to my eye as I heard the stories time and time again of the participants in that class talking about how they had discovered hope in their life. It wasn't necessarily going to solve every problem, but they realized that they had resources in each other and in um, fledgling and rediscovered faith to not just get by, but to start getting ahead. Another story that I think of is of a deacon, Becky Wilson, in Detroit. Becky happened to fall into a flood recovery project after the floods of 2014 flooded so many basements in Detroit. uh, uh, Becky, um, Becky's so funny because she said, I didn't know anything about mold or basements or furnaces or, or hot water heaters, but now I am an expert. She's built a team 
of, of women, her and Linda and Cheryl, lifelong Detroiters who now serve as full-time case managers, a young woman, Kayla, from Arizona, who serves as one of our Globe and Mission Fellows, a U.S. 2 missionary. Together, this team has helped more than 400 households in the city of Detroit, mucking out their basements, replacing their furniture, getting new hot water heaters, but more than that, building relationships with the homeowners. Becky tells me this heartbreaking story where they showed up to a house and the basement was so bad that the homeowner was living in her car sleeping in her car throughout the winter. The flood of Detroit has really um, not been recognized as, as, as far-reaching as it was. For the, for the year of 2014, more people applied for FEMA assistance in Detroit than they did in any disaster across the country that year. It was a big deal. And United Methodists, Becky and her team have been there at the front lines, tending that flame, building that fire, having their lives transformed. I think about the city of Flint. I think about Pete Plum. Pete Plum's been our coordinator in Flint. Pete is, um, he is a great guy. Pete had been laid off from his job in the corporate world just a few months before the news broke about Flint. It got to the point where I was working with pastors that I knew we needed to find someone to help coordinate our efforts long term. We found Pete at that moment. Pete stepped in. He was a native of Flint. He knew people. He had relationships. He had a passion for the city. He helped establish water resource centers that distribute water and filters and love and hope at all seven of our Flint congregations. Pete is stepping down and is returning to his job tomorrow. But I know that Pete has rediscovered a sense of himself and his faith and of mission in this work. And he's handing over that flame to someone else to tend and to nourish. I think about our mission intern program started 15 years ago by Terry Gladstone, a matchstick in her own right that lit so many fires and so many young people across our conference. This year, we had nine sites with 25 interns. One of those sites is a scrappy little church in Saginaw, West Michigan Avenue. They have a district superintendent assignment there. Her name is Maline. She's worked for the district, and the DS one day said, we need someone at West Michigan Avenue. You're going to be it. When she started there, sometimes there was less than 10 people in worship. Now they're averaging 60. Most of that growth is because Maline and a dedicated small team of members there have made it a priority to reach out in love and relationship to the children in the neighborhood around their church in downtown Saginaw. Emmett, who's been a member there for decades, who's had to fight with members for his vision of reaching out to neighborhood children, who had to answer questions about why he was bringing those kids into our church, is still there day after day helping a young man, Mike, and his family who are natives of that area. They've lived in the neighborhood for many years. Mike 
runs a landscaping business, but when he's out, he makes sure if he sees kids playing to tell them about West Michigan Avenue, to tell them about their weekly programs, to tell them about their summer program, and then he goes out in the morning and he picks them up and he brings them back. Moline and Mike and Emmett are tending a flame. They're co-conspirators in Jesus' combustible ministry. When I think about my work and who I am, these are the folks who inspire me, that make me want to go out and find that firewood and to build that blazing bonfire, that inferno of God's love and mission in our communities and in our world. This set of teachings that Luke has brought together for us in the scripture reading this morning, it ends with Jesus talking about the weather. Did you pick up on that? It says, you can read the signs of the clouds and tell tell me when it's going to rain, but you can't read the signs of this present moment. Of this present moment, here and now. What will you do? What decision will you make? How will you help me build this fire? I want to close with another personal story about reading the signs of the times in the present moment. This weekend marks the third anniversary of my mother's death. She died from a rare neurological disease that took her life in a matter of months. It was painful. It was traumatic. Me and my family are still healing. On this third anniversary, it's become a little bit easier to remember the good memories, to look back and think about what I'm grateful for and thankful for from having my mom in my life, even if it was for too short of a time. This weekend, I was thinking about how my mom um, helped start uh, what, what was called a non-food pantry at her home church. It was for uh, items that weren't covered by food stamps or the bridge card. So this was like uh, personal items and house cleaning items. She founded it at a time when she was really struggling with her work. She was an x-ray technician and For the last few years of her life, um, that wasn't really bringing meaning anymore like it used to. She knew that she had to find something that would relight her fire. And so she threw herself into creating this pantry with a group of other women at the church. And my mom loved the work. She loved going out and picking out things that, that she knew the friends that she had made through the pantry really needed a special type of lotion or a shampoo. We used to, the, the pantry used to just give out boxes, and my mom argued forcefully that, that, they, that they allow people to choose what they wanted out of a sense of dignity. She made friends, really good friends, with a few people who were going through difficult moments in her life. She invited them to church. She invited them to a grief support group. And when it came to her funeral, they showed up. I'm so glad that my mom didn't wait until she retired to start that food pantry. Because it would have never happened. I'm so glad that my mom carved out time in her busy schedule 
to do that mission because she needed it, and so did her church and her community. My mom read the signs of the times, and she made a decision in that present moment. As I think about that, it, I'm reminded that we never know how much time we have left. We never know what the next moment, days, weeks, months, or years will bring. I'm reminded on the third anniversary and by the decisions that my mom made that all we have right now is the present moment. And we're asked by Jesus, will you build a fire with me? Will you let your life be turned upside down? Will you follow me in mission?